Welcome to The Caleb Show. This is a show about the Bible, about renewing, and about the mind, where every week we discuss how the Word of God is sufficient for day-to-day living, no matter what is happening in your life. You will be challenged to make the Bible an essential part of your thinking and living. Join us now as we investigate the world with the ancient truth of God's Word. Hello friends and welcome back to the show. My name's Caleb and today we're going to be carrying on through our survey of Dave Brees' book, Seven Men Who Rule the World from the Grave. So today we're going to be talking about John Dewey, but I just want to preface this episode with this comment about thinking and about thought. So last week we talked about Sigmund Freud and his understanding of the soul and of the mind and that kind of thing. But today we're talking about John Dewey. And John Dewey, in many people's minds, is sort of the philosophical framer of our modern-day educational system, particularly in America. Uh, Although he did travel to China and South Africa and he gave lectures in those places and people, some people liked what he had to say and some people didn't. But in uh, American academics of the early 1900s, he was really one of the giants of thought at that time, very prolific as a writer. And some of his thoughts definitely had an impact on the American education system. So when you think about the American education system, at its, we, we talk about the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? And we often think that that's what school is about. It's about teaching us information so that we can use that information to get a good job and go to university, graduate, whatever, get a good job, make money, ultimately retire, and that's your life. You know, and if you come from an a evolutionary, atheistic, humanistic perspective then that's basically all you got. There really isn't anything beyond that other than the sort of uh, feel-good sense of posterity and leaving behind something of value to the generations ahead and that kind of thing. But you really, as far as your blip of existence in time, then so much of life is wrapped up in just living, making money to pay the bills so you can have food, so you can have a house to live in and things like that. And so... Uh, When we think about education, that's usually what we think about is how much will it cost to get a good education and then how much can I make in a career after I've spent that kind of money as an investment so I can live a comfortable life. And in one way, that's a very sad way of looking at things because it's so temporary and so uh, materialistic, I guess you could say. It's ultimately about your own comfort and that kind of thing. So But when we think about the broader understanding of education, really what it comes down to is teaching people a mode of thought or a means of thinking. Now, all of these men that I have been highlighting and who Dave Brees has been highlighting in his book, all of them have captured the minds of men and of society as a whole, and women obviously as well. And it's developed into a means of thinking and a means of of practically living out life. So you could almost call it like practical wisdom. So we'll talk about wisdom here in a minute. But wisdom is an idea of the, the use of knowledge. Or I always define wisdom as the right use of knowledge. So you can have knowledge about something, but are you using it correctly? So any, you know, you can have knowledge of how to use a gun. I understand how to load the gun. I understand how to aim the gun. I understand how to pull the trigger on a gun. But am I pulling the trigger 
of the gun at, say, a deer or a duck or some animal that I intend to use to feed myself and my family, or am I aiming it at a human in, the, in, an, in an attempt to do them harm? So you think about the gangster and you think about the police officer. Both of them have guns. One of them is using it to do harm and the other one is using it to protect society as a whole or to eliminate uh, some kind of wrong or something like that. So the, the use of the knowledge is what comes down to whether or not it is true wisdom or not. So education, when, we, when, when children are in school... And the vast majority of children around the world do end up in some kind of schooling, you know, formal schooling structure. They are educated. And in that education, their minds are molded to think a certain way. So we're going to talk mainly about the American system because that's where, we are, that's where I am right now in America. And we're talking about John Dewey, who obviously was a major influencer on the American system. And so Dewey as an individual uh, had very... Uh, unique ideas in at the time he was born in 1859 he died in 1952 so his main time of influence was from the mid 1880s up into about 1930 something like that and so he has a statement that he made democracy and the one ultimate ethical idea of humanity are in my mind synonymous so this was sort of his guiding principle you almost could say uh, the idea that democracy or the collective decision of all the people and the ultimate, one ultimate ethical idea of humanity are synonymous. So in other words, might makes right or uh, whatever most people vote on must be the right way to go or the way that we should go, whether it's right or not. But it's the way that we should go because the most people vote that direction. Now, this is an interesting idea, and from this, you can probably get his sense of what humanity should be, how it should be organized and planned and things like that. So really, uh, Dewey believed that there is no ultimate truth, because meaning is higher and based on the now of society in effect. So let me read you a quote. This quote is in Dave Brees' book, and he's quoting from a... He's quoting the words of Dewey here. So this is what Dewey says. Uh, but even as respects truths, meaning is the wider category. Truths are but one class of meanings, namely those in which a claim to verifiability by their consequences is an intrinsic part of their meaning. So in effect, Dewey rejected ultimate truth. And he felt like meaning was a wider, broader category. So truth is only there to verify facts. It's kind of a fact checker, you could say. So we have fact checkers now. I think Twitter just recently put fact checkers on political statements and things like that. So you can have an action done by a politician. And truth only goes so far in Dewey's mind as to verify the facts of the statement being made. Once that statement is made, then you got to work out meaning. And so meaning is a slippery subject to get your hands around. In the world of biblical interpretation, meaning has been a primary subject for a long, long time. How do you determine the meaning of what somebody has said? You can read the book of Matthew 
you can have the whole thing memorized. You can know all the different Greek words, English words. You can work out the date in which it was written. You can work out the, uh, look at all the different manuscript evidence that brought about what we now have as our English version. You can do all that kind of thing, talk about first century Judaism and all that stuff. And you can gain a lot of facts about the book of Matthew. And you can even look into like extra biblical evidence of who Jesus was and the trial in Roman society at the time and how it did what how they you know addressed criminals and punished them and tried them and all these kind of things. All that stuff, Jewish parables and how the how it all worked at that time and how rabbis functioned at that time and messianic miracles. You can read all that stuff about the book of Matthew, how it relates to the Torah and the way it was broken down and and the way Matthew uses the number fourteen and his genealogy in Matthew chapter one and uh, you know everything. You can read all that stuff. All you've done is get lots of facts about the book of Matthew. You have not even begun to address meaning. What does the book of Matthew mean? What is it trying to say to us today? How are we to now take what it says and apply it to our life? So you see the difference between Dewey's view of truth, which is basically just checking the facts, and meaning, which comes down to the individual who is reading that or looking into that to decide the case you that you should go forward this way or that way. So every trial, every court case always has the defendant and it always has the one who's being, uh, yeah, you have the defense side and you have the prosecuting side. So one side is trying to explain why the evidence points to that person being guilty and the other side is trying to point to the evidence of that person being innocent. So you see how that works? They all have facts and you can appeal the final case by the judge or the jury if you can bring new evidence. So anyway, new facts that bring... So that's how Dewey operates. Facts are just there. Uh, truth is only about fact-checking. Meaning is determined by society, is what he would say. Because remember, democracy and the one ultimate ethical ideal of humanity are, in my mind, synonymous. And so the, the majority decides what's, what it means and then that's where they go forward from there. So truth is only about checking on the facts. Now, what does the Bible say about truth? <laughs> oh, what the Bible says about truth, our key verse, uh, two, a couple key verses, Jesus says, sanctify them. Jesus is praying to God the Father. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus has stated that the word of God is what is true. That is the basis of truth. And so Jesus then turns around. Actually, he said uh, a mere three chapters before that, John 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And then you back up to John chapter 14. And what does Jesus say? I am the way. His disciples said, how do we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you need to go in the way that I am putting before you because I am truth. So the Bible Old Testament and New Testament both puts God as the truth. That is where it all resides is in him. He is the ultimate truth. So democracy and the one ultimate ethical ideal of humanity are in my mind synonymous is what Dewey says. What the Bible says is that God and the one ultimate ethical idea of what humanity should be adopting is Synonymous, is what should be synonymous. Our, we should all be taking on uh, the ideas of what God has taught us in the scripture because God's way is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So Dewey 
uh, didn't believe in an ultimate truth. He only believed that he believed that meaning was a broader category, and that can be subjective to the individual. And so, in biblical hermeneutics, when we have sought to interpret the Bible, we read what the Bible says to determine the meaning, but we're always checking that meaning with the whole of Scripture. So even if we're focusing on one verse or one passage or even a theme going through the Bible, we're always checking it back and we're always walking humbly before God and seeking Him uh, in prayer to give us that direction. Now, Dewey would take his ideas and apply them to education. He taught both elementary level students, and I think he also taught sort of high school level students uh, or middle school, somewhere in there for a few years. But then ultimately he ended up in, in the university level. So he was teaching at a university level for, for decades. But he had very strong views on education. And so let's read another quote from Dave Brees' book, Quoting Dewey. Uh, he says here, let me try to find the page. Ah, so far as education is concerned, those who believe in religion as a natural expression of human experience must devote themselves to the development of the ideas of life which lie implicit and are still new science and are still newer democracy. They must interest themselves in the transformation of those institutions which still bear the dogmatic and the feudal stamp till they are in accord with these ideas. In other words, what is new science and newer democracy? Th those ideas. In performing this service, he says of those who are responsible for education, it is their business to do what they can to prevent all public education agencies from being employed in ways which inevitably impede the recognition of the spiritual import of science and democracy, and hence of the type of religion which will be the fine flower of the modern spirit's achievements. So he believed that education and those who form education need to have their pulse on the way society is going now. What's happening now? We need to educate uh, the future for the now. This is what needs to be done. But since he didn't believe in an ultimate truth, how is he to determine if what he's doing is correct or incorrect, if it's going to have the, the right results or the wrong results? Because every generation ultimately is in a state of flux. It's sort of flowing. I mean, nowadays we talk about... Uh, the, the boomer generation, the baby boomers, then we talk about Generation X, then we talk about millennials. And so we have, like, every generation is this has a new worldview and a new way of looking at things. And if we're always educating the next generation for the now, then what is there of an eternal truth that is being passed on? In one sense, nothing is being passed on. Education is always being reinvented all the time. So just uh, a couple weeks ago, a buddy of mine came up and said, oh, this is the new way that they're doing math. And he sort of showed me this way that they're doing multiplication tables. And I looked at that and I said, man, that's confusing the way they're doing it. He says, yeah, they say it's supposed to be easier, you know. And I always remember that scene in The Incredibles, the second film, when uh, the boy Dash says, dad, I don't understand my math. And he holds up this textbook that says new math. And uh, Mr. Incredible, he says, how can you change math? Math is math. Because he's coming 
from a modernist perspective of thinking, which is set in observational science and laws of physics and the world around him. And his son is being taught postmodern way of doing things, which is that uh, all things are up for debate and it's not what is truth, it's which truth do you want to follow, that kind of thing. So that kind of comes out in that little bit right there of, the, of that film. But what does the Bible say about education and about following on into uh, the next generation? So the book of Proverbs is an excellent source for this kind of thing. The book of Proverbs is Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. This is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. It says here, the Proverbs are to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, and to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will sustain will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the book of Proverbs, this is passed on. This is the words of David being passed on to Solomon, who is to rule the nation as king. So you could say that the book of Proverbs is for nation rulers or world rulers. Now, this series I've been doing is called World Rulers in the sense from the book of Dave Brees' book, Seven Men Who Rule the World from the Grave. But really, the book of Proverbs is a book for world rulers. It's from one king to another king, how to function. And David says, you need to get wisdom. It all begins with a fear of the Lord. Listen to what the Lord has to say. Put within your heart the words of God. Take them on as ancient wisdom. And this is the difference between what Dewey is saying and what the Bible is saying, is that the Bible is saying is that wisdom resides in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our wisdom, it says in Paul's writings, 1 Corinthians, I think, chapter 1, that he is our wisdom. And so when we take that idea that God is the person in which wisdom resides, just like God is the true, is where truth resides. It is in him. So when we recognize that and say we are short-sighted, we are small, we are limited, we are physical people sitting here on the earth that you created, our only course of true wisdom and understanding and knowledge is to always be seeking you. When we do that, then it says that we need to seek wisdom. Read chapter 8 of Proverbs. It's a fantastic call from wisdom to to come to her, uh, because wisdom is a feminine in the Hebrew. I'll read part of it. Does not wisdom cry out, and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill, beside the way where the paths meet, and she cries out by the gates at at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. So she's in a place of public gathering. And right now, public gathering is on YouTube, it's on Twitter. A lot of it is social media type stuff. But we never hear wisdom there. We hear spouting out of people's opinions constantly. Everybody says this is this and that is that. And there's no, there's no wisdom being stated because people are not seeking God now. Verse 3, she cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. This is what she says. To you, O men, I call and my voice is to the sons of men. 
O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. For my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all things one may desire cannot be compared with her. So to seek God who is uh, the embodiment and source of wisdom is better than money. And how many in our day and age today live their life to seek after money, either legally or illegally, is what they're doing. And so these people are not seeking wisdom, they're seeking things for themselves. Now, Paul talks about wisdom as well, and he says that the wisdom of God, sorry, he says that the foolishness of God is wiser than the greatest wisdom of men. So when we look at Dewey and see that he basically says, look, it's the... The people of society, their majority opinion is where we go. But if none of them are seeking God, then it's never going to be anything but a downward spiral collapsing into nothingness. So we see this with Darwinism. We see this with Marxism. We see this with Freudianism. All of them are all looking at humans and what's low, whereas the Bible is always telling us to look up to what's high. And what's highest is God. He's up there at the very tip top. So that's where we need to be aiming our direction. If we get that right, then uh, what we'll discover is that the way forward is a way that's clear and that we're always doing it in humility. And then we will have, we'll begin to have a renewed mind and we'll have assurance of the direction in which we need to be going. So that is our goal is to not look at society as a whole for the way to go, but to look toward God as a way to go. And Dewey said, no, you look at what's new, what's now. And then from that, you decide how you should go forward. And what the scripture is saying is, no, you look at what's new and what's now through the lens of ancient wisdom, which we get from God through the scriptures, and we practice that out in humility before him. And then we get true, uh, a true way of, of life and living. So God bless you, and we'll see you next time.